Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. This week, we're looking at this year's Starcade. Bray Wyatt has a new championship belt, plus Billy Corgan and Dave Lagana from the NWA are on the show. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Of course, we last spoke on Thanksgiving, but hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving weekend, ate a lot of turkey, got your Black Friday deals, maybe you started decorating the house for the holidays, but now it's back to work, I know. The Monday after Thanksgiving weekend is always tough, however, the nice thing about any of you that are either working or in school is, let's be honest, Nothing gets done between now and New Year's. It's December. We're here. Starcade last night. Smackdown on Friday. We'll get to all of it. We'll have a state of wrestling this week. We'll get to all of that. Don't forget, you can email in for the state of wrestling at notsamwrestling at gmail.com. We'll get to your questions. Speaking of stuff that you can do when the podcast isn't on, the new YouTube page is up and running. I spent a lot of time this Thanksgiving weekend getting the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube page together. Of course, we've been really, really successful for the last several years uh, with the Not Sam YouTube page. But I felt like with the amount of content that is being created for it uh, and the amount of content in my brain that I think we can create for it, it started to feel very, very cluttered. It also started to feel like there were, you know, there was content on the page that was for two different fan bases, right? And some people don't want any wrestling. Some people want all wrestling. Some people want both. So what I've decided to do, all of the wrestling content, if you listen to this podcast twice a week at youtube.com slash notsam, make the change. All of the wrestling content is going to youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. Uh, we've already started premiering videos there. First, uh, you can see my interview with Rey Mysterio and Cain uh, Velasquez that was on this podcast. That video is exclusively on youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. Uh, we, on Friday morning, the video of my interview with Vic Joseph, and there aren't too many interviews with him, premiered over at youtube.com slash notsamwrestling for the first time. So all of that's available as well as the podcast and many other interviews. You can also, and this is fun, if you go to youtube.com slash notsamwrestling, you'll see that over the next couple weeks, every day that there's not a podcast coming out, so... Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, there is a new interview that's premiering on youtube.com slash notsamwrestling at 11 a.m. Eastern Time every day. So you'll be able to tune in, and it premieres. You'll be able to watch it live as it premieres at 11 a.m. on the channel, and then after it premieres, it'll be available uh, to be watched at any moment that you choose. But I, you could jump in the chat and interact with people as they're also watching the premiere. I might jump in for some of them. Uh, 
And you can see right now, if you go to the videos section of that YouTube page, what interviews are going to be premiering when, uh, which is super cool, I think. So definitely subscribe. Obviously, it's free. Stay, stay subscribed to the Not Sam YouTube channel if you already are, because we'll still be doing lots of content over there. But all the wrestling stuff is going to be exclusively at youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. So make sure you're subscribed to that channel. Make sure your alerts are on. Make sure you've got the whole thing going on because there's I've just got a lot of content ideas that uh, I'm going to be fleshing out throughout 2020. And both youtube.com slash notsam and youtube.com slash notsamwrestling are going to be huge places for it. As well as this here podcast and the SiriusXM radio show and everything else that I've got going on in my little Not Sam universe. Uh, speaking of, uh, of, of the universe, the wrestling universe is forever expanding, and, and I hear from a few of you from time to time on Twitter that say, you know, you, you do this is a very WWE-heavy podcast. It's always been a w- very WWE-heavy podcast, though. WWE is what I've always been a fan of. WWE is what I watch, so, you know, that's what I cover. The last thing I'm going to do is watch, you know, a 30-second YouTube clip of a New Japan show and sit there and tell you what happened at the New Japan show like I'm some kind of expert. No, I'm going to share my opinions on the stuff that I actually watch and enjoy. Uh, But I also think that there is a value in talking about the wrestling world as a whole, and that's why I interview people like Luke Hawks, who I had on last week, and this week, Billy Corgan and Dave Lagana. Now, uh, I've uh, been acquaintances, I would say friends, friendly with Billy and Dave and especially Dave for a while now just because since the NWA kind of reformed under the Billy Corgan and Dave Lagana banner. So Billy Corgan and Dave Lagana met in TNA. Dave Lagana was a member of the creative team and Billy Corgan was an investor in TNA that was looking to buy the entire company. Obviously things went sour, but the two of them hit it off, respected each other in terms of their wrestling brains. Uh, and decided to start this NWA thing. So what Billy did was he bought the NWA uh, catalog and IP. And when I say catalog, I don't mean video. I mean more the the trademarks, the the uh, intellectual property of the belt, the just the NWA as a name. Billy Corgan was able to purchase it uh, because, and people laughed at him at the time because it really wasn't looked at as something that had a lot of value. And what they did, and we've had Nick Aldis on the show a couple of times. We really like having Nick on. Um, but Nick, they start, Nick won the NWA championship. And what they basically did was they had Nick go show to show, independent shows everywhere that he could go, and defend the NWA title. So the NWA wasn't actually a promotion anymore. It was just this body, right? So I think that the year or two that they did that, because it was so different and because Nick Aldis presented it so well, uh, it brought a lot of eyes and it brought a lot of curiosity back to what was going on with the NWA. It also brought a lot of integrity back to the title. I mean, it helped uh, that Cody Rhodes challenged and won the NWA championship, uh, I think, at All In. And and Nick appeared on, on Ring of Honor and Nick appeared, Nick appeared everywhere for a period of time. But uh, what Billy Corgan, who... Billy Corgan's one of my favorite stories because there are so many people that are not wrestling fans that I interact with that they go, I've heard that Billy Corgan is a wrestling fan. Is that true? Because they know him from the Smashing Pumpkins. And I'm like, a wrestling fan? Billy Corgan is a diehard. Billy Corgan bleeds this stuff like the rest of us. So much so 
that he found himself in the position that he's in and decided to buy the NWA and create something new in wrestling. And that's what they're doing. That's what NWA Power is. So uh, NWA Power, for those of you that haven't seen it, I've brought it up once or twice here on the podcast. I know a lot of you have. They talk about it a lot in the Discord room that's exclusive for our Patreon members, uh, as well as on Twitter and stuff like that. I always hear you guys talking about watching it, so I know a lot of you are. But uh, NWA Power is basically a return to studio wrestling. It's, it's really great because it's this throwback to sort of late 70s, early 80s TV studio NWA wrestling. But it's done with stars of today and maybe a couple stars that you haven't seen in a while. Uh, and it's done in a way that is somewhat tongue-in-cheek and there is some irony to it. But it still takes seriously what's going on. It takes... Uh, uh, it, the product takes itself seriously while still finding the humor in the fact that in 2019 they're doing this TV studio wrestling. I think it's great. I think it's different. I love what I love, whether it's in wrestling, whether it's in film, whether it's in music, everywhere. I love when I can tell that a creator of a product has a vision. I loved it in technology. That's why I loved Apple for so long because you could you could feel, you could see, you could taste Steve Jobs' vision when you got these Apple products. And you can, a good filmmaker, as you're watching the film, you can see what the filmmaker's vision, successful or not, you can at least see that he had a vision here. Because there's so many people that create things with no vision. They're just doing it either for the sake of creating it or because they're, you know, trying to capitalize on a trend or trying to make a quick buck or whatever it is. You can always tell the difference. And... Billy Corgan and Dave Levon, Dave Lagana have a very clear, precise, thought-through vision, and they're sticking to it, and it's succeeding, and it's been really, really great so far. Um, I will tell you that this interview took place a couple of days before the episode air where Jim Cornette made his uh, Ethiopian KFC joke. Obviously... If this interview had happened after that, I would have talked to Dave and Billy about how something like that happens, um, you know, it being a taped show, how does somebody not catch that earlier, and, you know, and and and, and everything, every, every question that there is, because you sit there and you go, well, of course Jim Cornette should have known better, but it being a taped show, of course it should never have made the air, and I don't know, but I didn't get a chance to ask those questions because this interview took place, like, it might have been the day of that episode airing. I think it was the morning of that episode airing. Um, so we don't tackle that topic because it wasn't a topic at the time of this conversation. But we tackle just about everything else. We talk about the fact that they're moving to pay-per-view. Um, we talk about what's going on with their YouTube channel. We talk about the, the, the uh, vision for making money behind it. Everything you've ever wanted to know as well as what went into picking the stars of 2019's NWA, the legacy, the whole thing. It's a really interesting conversation with two guys in wrestling who I really like talking to. Dave Lagana, Billy Corgan, together on Not Sam Wrestling. The Not Sam Wrestling interview. I'm really happy to be doing this in studio. The minds, the creative minds, the everything really behind what the NWA is in 2019 and really over the last, I guess, two years, three years? Something like that. Yeah. Billy Corgan <laughs> and Dave Lagana together. 
And I mean, I is this our, is this our first co interview? We never we've never done. I when I talked to Sam, I was like, "Do you want us both?" And it sounded dirty, and I thought we would. Why not? <laughs> All right. Why don't you usually do them together? Like, do you shy away, Dave? No, from... we're, we're, we're just not in the same place very often. I so you know, if if I'm doing an interview, he's usually in studio or vice versa, and we try to kind of split the difference with I everybody. See. So yeah, that makes sense. Spread, and uh, <laughs> you can hit the most ground that way. Yes. You guys have to be so happy with what's gone on with power because it feels like one of these things that just let's put it on youtube and see if it works and i mean if you look at the week-to-week numbers they're amazing if you look at the fan reaction both from fans and from people within wrestling everybody is just like falling in love with this show it feels like it's been a real pleasure and uh and, uh, and a revelation because you know you you can you can guess what you have but until you see real numbers and real real response you don't really know um, we're really proud that we trusted our talent to be in that situation because um, you know it, it is a situation because of the live audience and the nature of how things go these days with social media where you can totally fall on your face and we had we had to calculate that there are going to be those moments that just don't work um, but we're willing to take that chance and I think ta- once talent saw the, the crowd reaction and the vibe, in the studio to what we were doing um you can almost see their their lights start to go on like oh this is kind of fun this is a bit different and then by the second day the talent was completely invested and i think the shows have gotten better because you see the talent sort of buying in and uh and we're about to enter another taping cycle we have the pay-per-view on december 14th and two tapings on the 15th and 16th of december and so uh, we're looking forward because now we feel like we we kind of know what we have and and i think the talent will come in even with a uh, a more excited attitude because i think they they're going to have a better idea what they want to do in that environment yeah it's uh it's rare that you get people to show up without really knowing what they're getting into even the people that bought tickets to our first show they didn't know what they're getting into and we i think i had said something to the effect of we don't even know what's going to happen there were a lot of situations like the question mark the audience reaction to the question mark was a 180 we had no idea and so right. the, the the guys had to figure it out that the match that airs on this week's show completely got redone in the fly to work with what the audience was doing and we couldn't have stopped it if we wanted to. Even if we wanted to, to try and manipulate it, we just couldn't have. Well, it's little things, too. It's like doing the promos live, obviously, the way they used to be done, mm-hmm. leaves you with moments where Eli Drake is doing this promo, and the fans are chanting question mark, and when he takes a pause to see what they're chanting and realizes it's question mark, <laughs> I was like, how? I, in my head, I'm watching, I'm going, well, how's he going to deal with this? Because they're like kind of doing this fun thing, but he's trying to get this message across, and his ability to go question mark into exclamation and then get them on his side was like, yeah, this is one of those lost arts of wrestling, of really on the fly making the audience go on the journey that you intend for them to go on. This show is closer to Saturday Night Live uh, than a pro wrestling show as far as, you know, we can lay out an improv-like type environment and then what happens ends up happening and it's we just go with it. And we're always kind of tweaking the show when it's done. I think it was the second episode um, we had that interview with Camille and Nick and the clickbait stuff. And, you know, after after we looked at the first cut, we're like, it just doesn't work. Let's reorder everything. We shot new scenes. And, you know, it's a, it's a living, breathing thing. I mean, the show usually gets done about 11 a.m. on Tuesday, um, <laughs> you know, with just kind of to get it where it needs to be. And it's it's really it's, – it's unlike anything I've done in 19 years of doing wrestling. And uh, there's nothing like it on television, the Internet, as far as the way it's being produced. Yeah. How uh... – so how important were the numbers? Like, were there expectations for numbers? Because I think people also have this perception of a lot of what you guys are doing, especially because you're kind of the, the, the figurehead behind this thing, Billy, that people feel like, well, 
Billy Corgan is this, you know, successful rock star. So he can just invest this money into this wrestling hobby. Mm -hmm. And if it works, then great. And if not, he's having a lark. Is that... Well, that's that's a lot of money for a lark. That's let me, what I think. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I, you know, um, I think I've been working on the professional side of professional wrestling now, going on about seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, invested a lot of time, um, which you know, if if you want to put a dollar value to my time, I mean, do that math alone. Just you know, just the meetings, the the plane flights, the phone calls. Um, I mean, doing stuff like this interview while you're here to do music. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people say, hey, where do you find time to do wrestling? And it's like, it's on top of my musical life. Um, and I have a very, very busy life. And I'm also a parent. So um, I love it. I love the business. And uh, I plan on being successful in the business. Um, and the people I talk to behind the scenes, you know, uh, you know, I talk to some of the biggest companies in the world. Now, if I get that phone call because uh, I'm me, um, I, you know, I'm on that phone call to figure out how to create a business model that they'll be attracted to. It's not because they just want to talk to me. Right. Uh, I don't want to waste these people's time, and they certainly don't want to waste my time. So, um, I think that 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 narrative of like uh, you know the the, the 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 you know somebody playing in the sandbox of wrestling, I think that's quickly eroded. Um, and 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 what the most notable thing I would point to is that I'm not on the product. You know, you don't see my face every five seconds. I'm not out there cutting promos. I, I don't really even want to be on the product if I can help it because I really want it to be about our talent. Um, now, this is this is you know, look, I love I love the NWA. I love. The, the opportunity that it presents, but it is a business, and we plan on being very successful in it. And you know, we talk about a twenty-year plan, and so we're very excited about the numbers we've had because it's it's better than we could have hoped. Um, and it's not just that, you know, there there are raw numbers, you know, everybody can point to. But um, you know, my uh, the Pumpkins put out an album in two thousand seven that went gold. You know, sold over five hundred thousand copies in in an environment where it's hard to sell five hundred thousand copies. But people didn't like the record. So mm-hmm. what, how what what good were the numbers? You know, um, the good news is that people really really like the NWA uh, Power product, and uh, and we think it'll as it gets better, we'll attract a, a bigger audience. And we're very much geared towards a, a more mainstream audience because that's where we see the real growth. Those laps fans, those people who are not in the wrestling bubble following everything that somebody's tweeting. Um, there's a huge, huge audience out there that wants classic professional wrestling done in, in the modern style. And we plan on going after that, uh, that segment and bring them back to the table because uh, it's a strong wrestling economy, but it's not as strong as it should or could be. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I've watched, when I've watched the show, I'll watch it on my laptop, my phone, or whatever. And my wife will kind of walk in the room, and she's not a wrestling fan at all, but she's obviously— Is that why you married her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to have some other have some other place to go. So there can be something yes, else to like, one, right? one thing, right. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously she's more familiar with this world than just about anyone who could ever say that they're not a fan. And just in hearing it, she wasn't watching it at all, but just in hearing it as she walked by, she was hearing the promos. And she was like, well, that sounds— different it was almost like and she didn't want to say it because she didn't want to be disrespectful to anybody but her reaction was oh i guess that's what they're supposed to sound like mm-hmm. you know and i think that i think that real quick people figure mm-hmm. that out when watching yeah sorry to jump in on this but i i i feel like I, i've been saying it for a few years but you know ufc effectively took the classic wrestling promo model and they brought it into the modern world and 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 how are they able to to add real fuel to it well the promos, at least allegedly, were real, right? Right. You know, it was a real fight, and there were real consequences. Of course, once I saw about 40 UFC fights where the guys were hugging at the end, and if they had just been 
viciously cutting each other up in promos, <laughs> I started realizing that guys had figured out that by working, Conor McGregor being a, a great example, by working they could sell more tickets. More power to him. Right. Everything is professional wrestling as we in the wrestling. Especially when you literally are watching UFC and you're hearing superstar Billy Graham or you're hearing The Rock. Oh, or you're yeah. He- yeah. God bless. Yeah. yeah, God bless. But what I, what I felt was that the wrestling business as a whole was slow to adapt to the new pace that UFC had set. Right. And I think by bringing it back to that kind of unscripted, in-your-face, hey, maybe I'm going to stumble over my words, but there's real emotion behind it, that will sell this better than if I give this perfectly delivered soliloquy, which somebody's not buying in the 14th row because it just sounds like somebody else wrote it, not the person talking. Um, so I, I'm, I'm all about it. I mean, people ask... Uh, how much of our our promos are scripted? And the answer is they're not. We literally just hand uh, talents bullet points and say, go out and say whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, there's not even a time limit. It's just go out there and just cut your promo. And if you're on a roll, keep going. Right. Don't, there's no, like, just go. The, the perfect example is Tim Storm on the first show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim's that uncle you just really hope does well. You know, you're, <laughs> like, like there was a great tweet. Somebody said, Tim's the father I never had that I don't want to disappoint. And, you know, that first promo... He starts to quote Eminem in a way that's just like, what? And but it's like he's so likable and the people love him that it's just it comes across. And that's you know we we told Tim, hey, this is what we were looking for, and he just did it. And like Billy said, our show could be twelve minutes or it could be fifty nine minutes and fifty nine seconds. We're not bound by anything, mm-hmm. and I think that's really the cool part. If if something comes out of the show, it's out of the show because it, it's not good for the pace or the character. You know, we don't have to hit three hours. We don't have to hit two hours. And I think that allows our talents to just to feel free and to go. How hard is it to find this line between the kitsch of doing this old school thing and almost the humor value in it and creating something that people are taking seriously? And that's a fantastic question. Um, I would say we're entering a world where there really is no line anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a president that cuts promos. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I watch, uh, you know, quote unquote real sports and they're cutting wrestling promos. Mm -hmm. I watch, um, very, very talented people in the wrestling business cut very, very serious promos. And then I look on their social media and they're hugging backstage because they went to do something that was really admirable, like, uh, a charity event or something. So are we supposed to believe, then not believe, then believe or not believe? Are we supposed to always live in the universe? I think Hollywood is a good example of they they gave up that ghost long ago. Um, there was a time between the 19-teens and the say the 1950s where Hollywood stars were really protected. In essence, they were always in kayfabe mode. Right. They they were they made sure they didn't look or do anything that was out of character with what the public wanted to believe because it was good for business. And then, of course, they lost control of that narrative with the coming of of the modern uh, media, uh, you know, tabloid, the National Enquirer's and stuff like that. So I think we're in a world now where I guess I would say it, and it's not a dodge of the question. I just say if you believe it, you believe it, and if you don't, you don't. And it's really more on the talents to make you believe. I used to I used to meet people in airports in the '90s that would be disappointed because I liked basketball because they wanted me to be in some kind of goth, sad state all the time because that was the character that they believed in in the music. Yeah, and I always would kind of bristle at that, like, why can't I also be a human being who's who's funny and dumb and 
silly and a jerk. You know, like uh, human beings are very complex individuals. I think entertainment tends to dumb things down. I would lean towards more sophistication. So, yeah, there are times when I watch our programming where like we're right on the line of what is this? Yes. Um, and and I think that's a and I and I'm not taking it as critique, but I'm saying that's a criticism worth uh, considering. Like, where is the line? Um, you know, we we turned to each other during those first tapings and we said this is like a weird combination of like Springer and, you know, Georgia Championship Live or something like we're entering some sort of new territory. And I don't think I don't think we have enough data to, to, to say what is what is and isn't working. But I can tell you and I don't mean this as criticism of other people's products. I have a hard time as a wrestling fan in, 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 in 2019 believing that the same people that I saw on social media hugging backstage are now in some massive blood feud. Mm-hmm. Um, so either there's got to be some contrivance that I buy into that takes me on a particular journey. And if hum- humor is part of that journey, then fine. But there's got to be some contrivance that doesn't ask me to s- completely suspend disbelief when the chance of uh, me doing that because their acting ability isn't that great and they don't have the contrivance of a major motion picture uh, CGI thing happening around them and they can shoot lightning out of the ends of their fingers or something. I just feel like it's I, I'm not answering the question well, but I'm saying the world is so amorphous. I don't think we have those answers yet. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that you watch and I think it does a good job because that's something that I was watching for was like there's plenty of tongue in cheek stuff, whether it's mm-hmm. in the ads, you know, or or whatever it is. But then when you start getting the story part of it, whether it's in the promos or in the matches themselves and the commentators and everything. You fall into the story, so you you're not in that tongue in cheek world anymore. And then I start to look at it even differently, and I look at like uh, the uh, Nick Aldis commercial for the video game, and I go, yeah, like this is obviously funny and completely tongue in cheek, but it's still the same character mm-hmm. that I believe in. So like somehow I'm in this kind of weird vortex where this thing I can <laughs> acknowledge is like, okay, this is irony, but it's the character still. Yeah, I would say, look. Um... Uh, let's let's use an example of um, of uh, uh, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Can I believe that they're 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 able to do charity? Can I believe that they're a killer on the basketball court when the when the when the you know when they when they blow the first whistle to start the game? Um, can I can I believe that they're capable of being a heel and a babyface depending on the situation? Can they be serious when they need to be serious, and can they be silly when they need to be silly? You know, the fact that Peyton Manning did funny commercials, did that take away from his ability to win a Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I think we live in a different world now where you have to, I guess what I would say is if you believe in the person navigating the, 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 the car of the personality, um, whether it's worked or not, um, are you willing to take that journey? And I would say the, the rough edges are up are around like, did the girl really shoot the dragon out of the sky in Game of Thrones? Well, that's 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 gets into like the idea of like, are you a mark and are you willing to believe something which is patently not real? Does right. that make sense? Yeah. It's like yeah, yeah it's yeah. like where 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 is your line of markdom? Because there was even that moment in the that Camille Nick sit down in the second show, and I turned to him and was like, I don't even know what we're looking at. Like it's so like. Because the audience is going, why isn't she talking? We know she can talk. Yeah. So now it leaves a lot more questions. And I think the upside for us is we leave a lot up to the audience's interpretation. The end of last week's show was half of a fix of something that didn't work, constricted down time-wise to make it feel important. But then I looked at the YouTube numbers. 
had a giant spike of people going back to watch that one moment trying to figure it out. So it's like <laughs> a, a, a mistake or something that we didn't love ended up becoming something that people were very curious on and it moves forward. So it, it's unlike anything else where in my time in WWE, every moment is decided from you lift your left hand here, you put your right foot here. It's it's laid out. There's We find moments, and if it doesn't work, we take it out or we expand upon it or we just go with it. And I think that's what allows this universe to feel completely different. Yeah, it's really nice the uh... – the, the storytelling mechanism, I think, allows that more with you guys than just about anything else in the sense that you can, like you said, you can do two days of tapings that will cover six weeks or whatever it's mm -hmm. going to cover and then kind of take that footage. And if you want to tell a different story with it than you originally intended, you kind of can. Or if you have a moment like you had where yeah. this was a mistake and the fans are thinking it's this thing, you can now go, OK, let's let's kind of follow that wave. Let's let's go with them. How, how often do you see yourself doing that? I think it just depends. And obviously, you know, these shows were constructed in a bubble. Mm -hmm. And, you know, until we walked in the room, until the room was built, you know, we both walked the room and we had an idea of what it would look like. But, you know, I was there from the, the room was empty to completely until he showed up. And it's in that documentary we did. We kind of started to feel it. And like when he walked in and then like and then when talents walked in, there was a discussion on music. Even mm -hmm. up until five minutes before Nick and Tim went out, they were wondering, do, do we have music? And we're like, he, he was very steadfast on it. He's like, no, just try it. And that awkwardness became part of the thing. And then nobody thinks about it now. And it's No, just, I think it's great. I think the same thing with the ring announcements. Yeah. Where it's not that, like, ring announcery voice. It's like, because, and it, it, it takes you, it's those little details that do take you back. Well, it focuses on the talent. And yes. it's really a very raw performance of them. And I think as a talent, you want that. And for us... It's what we can offer. We mm -hmm. cannot offer the same money that Tony Khan and Vince offer. We can't offer the same exposure that this network or that does. But we can offer a chance to really be a fully formed. And all of the people on this show are here for a reason. And they're not somewhere else for a different reason. And those those thoughts collide. And everyone goes, well, why hasn't Eddie, Kings Eddie Kingston been on TV for 10 years? Yes. And then, But you see his talent and go, there's nobody who can talk like him. And the same with Eli and Nick and James Storm and everybody. It's like... It's such a full roster of guys that should be other places, but here it works very well. Was it your guys' idea for Homicide to wear the NWA? <laughs> I think that was sure, Homicide's it was idea. Because it's brilliant. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's completely brilliant. How did you pick the talent when you guys started? Because, you know, we've all had conversations about what NWA was when you guys started it, and it was really first Tim Storm, obviously, but Nick Aldis going show to show, town to town, and just kind of representing the brand when you guys go, okay, we're going to do TV tapings, we're going to start to build this into a promotion, and you do see people that you're familiar with. I mean, obviously being on the East Coast, Eddie Kingston, Homicide, Thunder Rosa, but then to see Trevor Murdoch pop up, to see uh, you know Sandow pop up again, to see these guys that I wasn't sure if they were even still around doing stuff. What was that process of picking who's going to be on these shows? Well, we take kind of a, you know, we call it like the Belichick Patriots approach, um, it's more of a team concept. Can you put these pieces together so they're complementary, so everybody benefits? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we were too top-heavy and you had, let's say, four A-level talents and everybody else was basically there to sell for the A-level talents, I don't think that's a product worth watching. Mm -hmm. um, so my thought is, is, and I think, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I'm paraphrasing the, the Patriots idea, you want to find those talents in the market that are undervalued. And by presenting them at their top value, the natural reaction of a fan watching is like, oh, this is kind of interesting. This is, this. there's more here than I thought. 
and I have that reaction, and I'm sitting there, and I've helped put it together. Right. Uh, Trevor Murdoch, who I was a fan of when he was in the WWE, David called me and said, what do you think about using him? I said, absolutely. Love his size. Definitely can work. What's he been doing lately? And we, you know, So we talked about that. As soon as you see him on the television, it's like, there it is. Yeah. There's yeah. that experience. There's there's the re- there's a reason he got over when he was over. You know, it's right there in front of you. Um, you know, we, and then we don't, we, you know, because we respect Trevor's position in the business, we're not asking him to jump through forty five hoops and prove anything to us. He doesn't have to prove any of this. He's there because we already believe in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we Nick and I went to Harley Race's funeral, and he was there. And I I pulled him aside after. I said, "What are you doing?" Like, what are you doing? Like, what he's like, oh, I work here. And I said, why aren't you wrestling? He goes, ah, oh, the business is passing by. I said, no, it hasn't. I said, come to Atlanta. He goes, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. We'll figure it out. I said, you'll be an agent. You'll just, I've known him literally from WWE. He was one of the first guys I worked out of outside of the WWE. And he just cares. He's a great trainer. And, and it's his details. And when you look at his matches, he has such details to what he does. And the match he has with Nick tonight is just it's an unbelievable piece of business is the best way to describe it. And there's a place in the market for this for us and where it goes that's the best part because this has been our literally our journey since you know we 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 escaped tna uh like 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 a a plot from escape from new york it um you know it allowed us we we have no idea we're just kind of i always say we're building this plane as we fly using duct tape spit and bubble gum and sometimes a hole will open the side of the plane and we just gotta we'll 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 put josephus in the hole and see what happens yeah uh you know, it's 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 unlike anything, and I think that's why it works. We'll get back to Billy Corgan and Dave Lagana in just a minute, but, you know, when tragedy strikes, I want to make sure that the people who are there to represent me that claim to have my best interest at heart get me. And that's why I'm excited about Morgan & Morgan. Morgan & Morgan, they'll tell you not to tap out to the insurance company after a car crash or another injury. Morgan & Mor- Morgan are the personal injury law firm that's for the people, not the powerful. They're a family-owned firm that never represents insurance companies or corporations. Morgan & Morgan will grapple the biggest, baddest heels so you can recover in time for the next pay-per-view. I swear, they're promising all this. On average, people who hire an attorney after a crash recover three times more than those who don't. With 500 attorneys in offices in Florida, New York, and across America, Morgan & Morgan can get you the compensation you deserve. If you've been injured in a car crash, slip and fall, or on the job, they might just be able to help. Morgan & Morgan has helped thousands of people recover billions of dollars. Best of all, hiring them is 100% free unless you win. You know, I, I, I sit there and, and I've had uh, minor car accidents before. One time a bus hit me. I was going onto the West Side Highway and a bus was turning on and it hit me and it flattened my tire and it scratched my car and I had to go and get pay all kinds of money to get the car fixed up. The insurance company really wasn't there for me like I thought they would be. The bus company certainly wasn't there for me at all. I wish that I had somebody that knows how to talk in wrestling jargon and also knows the laws and insurance and the way to get me compensation the way Morgan and Morgan does at that time. But now you do. And if you want to get involved with them, they'll give you a free case review. All you have to do is visit forthepeople.com forward slash not Sam or dial pound law on your cell phone. That's pound 529. Forthepeople.com 
forward slash not Sam for a free, no obligation consultation. There's only one, Morgan and Morgan. When you guys did your grand escape of TNA, did you do it together with this in mind? Not necessarily all this, but just sort of like, let's kind of leave this and see or were you both just two individuals going we got to get the hell out of here it was definitely separate because his reason for leaving was uh you know he had uh invested 1.8 million dollars uh to a lovely southern lady uh who uh was we call it game of thrones she was working six sides to keep herself in play Mm -hmm. i was watching as an employee when when they literally they fired him the day after the cubs won the world series and he was at the game i called him i said I think he just got fired. Uh, you've been, they send a mass email. He's like, huh? And he called his <laughs> lawyer and he that. And so I got a phone call uh, four hours after from my boss saying, uh, they they want to know what you plan to do. I said, um, I'm an employee. I've done nothing wrong. I, I, I plan on being here. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to him the next day and I said, well, this is what I'm thinking. And I went to John Gaborik's house and I had a long call with Matt Conway, who was my writing partner. And I said, I'm probably leaving and just just to let him know because he's the only person that he and I really trusted there the whole time. And uh, he's like, well, listen, my, my wife's having a baby in six weeks. I can't leave yet. I said, that's fine. I said, I'm just letting you know we're going. I go to quit uh, to my boss at the time, John Gabor. I get a text from Matt Conway. My wife just went to labor like literally <laughs> six weeks early. Yeah. And he's like, like two weeks later, he's like, well, that was the sign I needed to leave. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it was my decision. I, I gave up a six-figure salary mm-hmm. for no guarantee. We didn't start doing anything until 30 days in January, and we didn't start the NWA until June. But it was a decision to not sit in negative energy. And that company is right. very bad negative energy. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of a situation where it was so – I really hope someday somebody writes a book about – that company because it, it 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 would make a it would make a case study in sociopathic behavior and bad business, um, which uh, you know and and certainly my head should be examined for trying to buy the company. But that <laughs> but but that said, um, but that said, when we came out of that situation, I think both of us kind of took a deep breath and said, okay, well, we obviously have a desire. We've seen enough energy in the and remember this is all before all the elite stuff and all this right like particularly with the hardys and the deletion series we saw that there was kind of a new voice in wrestling that that wanted to be heard Uh, we saw enough energy for the things that we did get over in tna um that there was a new type of wrestling fan out there that wanted something slightly different so we started there we at least had that empirical information and then we sat there and said okay do we want to even do something? And if we did, what would it look like? Um, and we just kind of, you know, we rotated around ideas and eventually settled on the idea that maybe buying an August brand like the NWA would be a good place to start um, because, you know, in essence, the the story is already within it. And then once we got into all that, then we had to start untangling all the massive problems that were left from what was the NWA. And then, of course, then we had to turn to the marketplace and talk to people like you and sort of explain what we were trying to do. And because it didn't necessarily fall into the, yeah, we're running shows and, you know, we're on, uh, you know, the network you never heard of and all that stuff. People would kind of look at us, not saying you, but people look at us like don't really understand how that's going to work. Because it wasn't the conventional wisdom. It wasn't the thing that anybody had done before. Well, I got a lot of, you know, you know, the wrestling bubble has its way of talking, uh, you know, not necessarily with a unified voice, but you kind of get a message. And the the message I got from it in the beginning was, well, if you're not going to blow money, we're not that interested. Yeah. In essence, blowing money equals activity. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, but I just came from a situation of somebody blowing money and you see where that went. Right. Um, 
in back to the TNA thing for a second. Think of the amount of money that TNA actually spent through the years. Um, I don't know how much they spent as a company, a couple hundred million, mm-hmm. you know, for a for a brand name they kept trying to change but would never pull the trigger. Um, they had incredible opportunities to actually move forward in the market and seem to blow themselves up every time they would actually get some traction. So, you know, the idea that, you, that just blowing money equals um, some sort of success, um, you know, so we kind of had to weather that first storm of like, what is it? Well, is it, is, do you think that the wrestling bubble thinks that blowing money is success or do you think there's something about the wrestling bubble that says, oh, there's money over here. If I can get behind this, maybe I can have some of it. Uh, I think it's a bit of both. Yeah, uh, it's proof of concept, right? Mm-hmm. You know, well, you're not serious unless you're blowing money, and if you're and if you're not blowing money, then you must not be serious. Um, we we realized that um, you know that marketing was going to be the key. Um, if you remember, there were podcasts that came out the day that we announced that that I bought the NWA brand name. What did he buy? And by the way, let me interject. The brand was so worthless mm-hmm. on the open market that WWE didn't even want it. And they could they could have had it for a song and just thrown it in their in their in their got it in their it. storehouse of 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 brand names that they own that they don't do anything with. Right. They, they could have got it with. They had talked to Bruce Tharp about buying the Houston Library that we have the license on, and they decided wasn't even worth as a throw in on this library. They decided not even to buy. Right. So, I mean, it could have just been buy the name, throw the title in the warehouse, and when we're done. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's been a lot of hard work, and it's been us. You know, our team has been very small and. We, if you if you see my DMs, the amount of people that are looking for work, at, I, I have the same people email me every time we make an announcement, and then I don't hear from them. Like Billy says, until there there's money, and you know a lot of our a lot of people who are on our show believe in us. I would say ninety eight percent of the people that we booked in the show never asked about the money. The when, when we booked them, it wasn't about the money; it was about the opportunity. But we communicated that to them. Yeah. And they understood that this is a real chance to do something completely different. And, you know, if we would have booked a 4,000-seat arena and papered it and, and done just what everybody else did, I don't think it would have that impact. And as much as it's retro, he said it to me last week on last week's show, the show feels like it's Instagram, where you're literally segment by segment going through, and it's designed that way. As, as retro as it is, we live in a communication world where people watch things 30 seconds to 90 seconds to two minutes at a time. And only our main event is longer than a, a normal segment. You know what's great is the little details that there's no dead space between transitions. That the transition hits as the last word is still mm-hmm. being said. Yeah, so, I, I, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I, no, I, I will literally because you know he sends me the he sends me a rough cut of the show and then I give my notes. I will literally write him the, on the time code and go get out a second earlier on yeah. the segment. Yeah. I, I want the show to move so fast because that's what it feels it's like. Like a, like a like a you know whatever the what was that offense the uh, the oh the hurry up offense hurry up offense yeah we're like we're like the hurry up offense of wrestling well and it's and it, but it's never at the it never hurts the story you know never. it's like the Russo crash TV like it's not that and mm-hmm. and you know everyone has their opinion on Vince Vince did a lot of very good unique things in the nineties and I think the format does always need to evolve so here we took a format from. The 60s, 70s, and 80s, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's an old school format." Yeah, but it's run at a 2020 pace. And... Go, go back and watch an old Georgia oh. Championship Wrestling and watch the pace of that show. They're, they're... Everybody thinks it's retro. You'll, you'll learn in about five yeah. minutes. It ain't that. The, I would say 30 to 70 percent of those old shows were garbage. Cable was the C show. It was about you know the syndicated show, and that was just an afterthought show. So taking a format and in a in a 
communication platform. YouTube is an afterthought for 90% of wrestling companies. Right. It's, it's, we'll just put that on YouTube. The worst, when I was at WWE, it was take everything off YouTube. And because a lot of big companies, Viacom, all fought this, this, this wave that we're going. And, you know, we're early but late to this, this format. You know, there are a lot of very talented YouTubers are making a lot of money. And our growth on the platform, I gave him some predictions of numbers as we keep growing. I mean, we we do every episode's done over two hundred thousand views. We have a hundred and fifty thousand subscribers. An average channel like a Peter McKinnon, who's a really great photographer, I think he has three point four or four million followers or subscribers. His videos do three hundred thousand. Yeah. So we're we're figuring out like we're getting people to come that don't even aren't even YouTube people. And, you know, as we grow and we get in front of more people, I think the show will continue to grow. And it's really interesting. And what's funny is, like, I think that the number one platform for uh, cord cutters that have, you know, internet live television instead of cable is YouTube TV. So it gets to the point where you start to really blur that line of, like, what really makes this a YouTube thing and not a TV show. That's yeah, the- it, it started to kind of create my own question, but it, but it will be interesting to see if – we can find ourselves in, in a place where we don't need a network uh, to support us. Yeah. If we can create a, um, a, if you remember when TNA first started with Jarrett, they were running the pay-per-view model. Yes. Which I was interested in just from a consumer point of view. It was like whatever, three bucks to watch an episode or whatever. And I would watch a lot of them because um, I, w- I wanted to support the idea that they were trying to do something different as far as the marketplace. So I think we're in that same position where we might be in a, in a situation where we can continue to grow the NWA, be able to do live shows and not actually have to serve any particular master as far as a network would go. Um, I talked to somebody quite powerful recently whose name I won't drop, but um, you know they were talking about whether I wanted to be on a network, and I said, "Yeah, but I don't want to give up all the all the freedom that I have. You know, I, I love the freedom that I have." And 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 they joked and said, "Yeah, but it would be nice to get that check." And I, and I said, "Yeah, well, you know." I don't see anybody throwing around that kind of money, even, you know, from what we know about the Tony Khan deal. I mean, he's heavily invested in his side of the deal with Turner. Um, and that's what most of the deals that are available out there is you've got to come in with some serious capital or some serious cash because networks just aren't going to write those checks anymore because they'd rather they'd rather have a show that they have total control over and total IP on. Right. Where wrestling is always a bit of a weird thing for a network because, like, who are we in business with? And you've got all these independent talents and this old construct of the in- independent contractor. So. Yeah, I mean, when, I, when I've done network deals, I mean, all they care about is their IP because what they want to be able to do is turn to their boss and, and, and explain to them how they're going to make money off all the mugs and the T-shirts and all that type of stuff. So not having complete control on IP. And the future net- streaming rights yeah. and the, yeah. That's, that's, why, that's why anybody entering the market, including Tony Khan, is going to learn the one thing that Vince McMahon figured out 35 years ago where if you don't have enough brand, social brand leverage in the marketplace, you cannot control the marketplace like Vince has controlled it all these years. Yeah. And uh whether it's AEW, whether it's the NWA, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, Sam Roberts wrestling, we're all gonna have to figure out how to create a new economy because that that network economy is very, very difficult to navigate if you don't have the history and the leverage and the cash flow that Vince does. Well I mean it's very, very clear to me, and I think you guys figured out early by, you know, doing ten pounds of gold on YouTube and figuring out a way to you know, okay, we're going to have this champion that we send from show to show, but the narrative is going to be through these YouTube videos that anybody can watch. They're short enough that you can watch them whenever you want. And, I mean, it goes back to, like, what we're doing here. Like, yeah, I work at Sirius, but I'm also pretty well aware of the podcast industry and the amount of people that are not sitting there going like, oh, I just need to get a radio show. 
because they figured out that you could do a podcast and do whatever you want. And if it's good say, enough, and, and basically, uh, you know, outside of being offensive, pretty much say whatever. You say want. whatever you want. If you can get an audience, you and, and you're even moving past the ad sales model of these people that are making huge livings on services like Patreon and stuff like that, where it is completely, or, or even just merch. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Exactly. Exactly. We, we right. built the. This is the. We're selling commercials on our show now, mm-hmm. and like High Spots is the first uh, first real sort of vendor that, that they they made a commitment of six weeks of commercials that we produced for them. It wasn't like just send us commercials. Right now they want to be in our world, and and more people are coming forward. So I think that's what's interesting about people supporting this. And it's it's interesting, you know, people talk about the AEW WWE war. The real war is the streaming services because about three or four years ago. Uh, Pirating was way down when Netflix was like the only place uh, to get content. And pirating is starting to go up because as more content gets siloed behind these walls with Apple having their service, which yes. has been a number wise is not Disney Plus uh, or yeah, Disney Plus has 10 million subscribers in the first week. Apple Plus has 300,000 mm-hmm. and they're Apple, um, you know, Amazon. You have all these p- places fighting. YouTube is the only free place to really go and get content. And I think. The market always decides where they're going to watch and goose stuff. And for us, this is the best place because we are growing an audience. Nick and Camille were at the big event this past weekend. Mm-hmm. And the amount of energy that they both communicated to us was 10 to 20 times bigger than an appearance they had had pre-power. Yeah. And we pushed it on our show with a commercial. But it's interesting to have people come up. And, and just every day after the show, like – the hashtag it's just it's it's insane how people are watching the show it's not if you don't watch it on tuesday like if aw is on a wednesday it's that's when you watch it and and it's weird how people are watching this on their time yeah i mean i don't want to blow smoke and if it wasn't true i just wouldn't mm-hmm. bring it up but i was kind of taken aback because you know when i do the wrestling podcast there's plenty of stuff that i don't talk about there's so much wrestling when you know you, you can't talk about everything i was really surprised at the amount of people that were like when are you going to talk about power when are you going to talk about power when are you going to talk about power God and bless I was like this him. is God bless him. Yes. this is a thing keep keep, keep on them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what do you uh, when you talk about the you know figuring out the NWA right when you first come on board and you and you start to fix everything first and start to you know put the investment back in the brand so people take the brand seriously what do you consider the lineage of current NWA, how much responsibility do you take for what came before you? Are you talking about in the in the in the in the in the in the recent years or the or the or like say you know the beginning of the decline in the eighties? I mean, you're... well, like what do you when you guys say this is this is NWA power? What what does the NWA in your head? Is it everything we've known? The ups, the downs, everything? Yes. Or it's yeah. everything? Oh yeah, absolutely. You're taking ownership all, all, of everything. Yeah. And I and I would point to my own uh, musical life as an example of that. It's it's amazing to me how many people celebrate periods in my musical life that I was told at the time were the worst. Hmm. Because the people that identified with those periods, whether because they liked what I was doing or because they saw something in it or they even appreciated that I was fighting through, you know, that period because it was a tough period for me. It's amazing how they, if it's their period, they don't care that there was another period that was bigger. So there are there are those people that are, you know, their, their connection, the NWA, you know, didn't start in 1978. It started in 1998. Um and I think I think trying to respect all of that and 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 sort of celebrate more the survival of of the brand, mm-hmm. you know anything that survives in this world past seventy years is pretty wild. 
I mean, how many brands could you think of, you know, that, that you don't know the name of like a, a Sara Lee or a Disney or, a, you know, a GM Motors or whatever, you know what I mean? That there's something that, that you cannot mess with when you're talking about 70 plus years of a brand. Just the endurance becomes part of the story. Well, and we, you know, we talk to everybody and we both grew up with it. And, and power to me is the last, what you remember strongest when the NWA was strongest. It's that 1985, 86 Turner TBS 605 show. Right. That's, that's, you know, we leaned into that because it's one, the audience is still there. You know, I was 10 to 15 years old when that show was big. I'm now in my 40s, so I may bring my kid to that. My dad and my grandfather took me to the NWA. I saw Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair in Philadelphia, and I watched the 605 show. So for us, it was identifying, all right, where's the gap? And, you know, there's a lot of discussion of lapsed fans, and there's variances of, like, when WCW closed, those people just stopped watching. They they, yeah. they, they, they didn't go watch WWE because that wasn't their home team. They were the Atlanta Falcons. They just they lived and died with their home team, and... You know, there are plenty of people, you know, at the peak of the wrestling wars, there were 10 million people watching on a weekly basis. But you have to think there were another five to 10 million on top of that 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 came in and out. And so it's really unique of what's out there. And so our bet was at a dollar to dollar. You know, we we run amazingly lean. We don't have an office. We don't have a this. We don't have a that. We don't have a chief marketing officer. We do it all because as we scale, this product is, I mean, we're, we're so much closer than people think to being a very scalable product. And, you know, I ran the numbers for him on power. I was like, we're maybe six months away from, from really being profitable with this show on our own without having to take an investment from anybody. And it may be even faster than that. So it's it's really interesting to watch this grow just on us because we've been told no everywhere else we've been and like otherwise we do something else yeah he 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 sold four hundred thousand tickets last year for the smashing pumpkins and you know he he can do anything else he cares about it and i think the guys feel it and now i feel it that this show is everything we want it to be and i think fans resonate with wow this is something i never knew i really needed again and i think that's why it works yeah the exciting part i think will be is if we can continue to grow and and scale up um, you know, and so, for example, if we found ourselves in the opportunity where we were able to run a bigger program like uh, Dynamite or Raw or something like that, what, how would we innovate in that space? Um, we don't have those discussions yet because we're, you know, we're far away away. But um, we do feel strongly that when we're given the right opportunities, we will be able to create our own unique brand in the space. And those are most of the discussions that we have is is that, you know, it's like it's like arguing about cookies, you know. Um, when I was a kid, if anyone remember Famous Amos, I love Famous Amos cookies, so I wrote Famous Amos, and he sent me personally a bag of cookies, <laughs> and I got a letter back. Unfortunately, I lost the letter somewhere along the way. But, um, you know, it, it's like arguing about what's who's got the best hamburger, who's got the best cookies. Wrestling's a, a really vast universe, and there's room for everybody. Um, so, yeah, we don't see it as counter to anything. We just see it in, in addition to, and um, I think the market will continue to grow. I think the entertainment business, which obviously I've been a part part of for you know over thirty years, I've been told repeatedly over the last seven eight years that wrestling has no growth. That's repeatedly, ins- repeatedly, and you know, as somebody who's just followed the industry, that that's insane. But that that also shows you that just because we live in this bubble, they don't live in that bubble, and yeah. so their perspective on wrestling from the outside. So it takes things like the WWE going on Fox for them to go. They read it in Variety. And they go, oh, something's happening. You know, I had a conversation with somebody uh, over at WWE that was talking about people when they were uh, making a push to be talked about for the uh, whatever the TV awards are. Emmys. The Emmys, yeah. yeah. And 
I mean, this was within the last couple of years. Somebody at the Emmys or or, or somebody in that space went, you guys, you guys do a live show every week, and you're just like, how? Yeah, like it, like, it, like millions of people yeah, watching. People. Yeah, yeah. You're, and, you're, and trends and trends every week. Number one on on Twitter and, and stuff. Oh yeah, like, it's been twenty years. But that's what I'm saying is sometimes we in the business get lo- we don't realize that the mainstream world continues to to basically not care. Mm-hmm. Um, and and WWE more than anybody has created that narrative that that wrestling can survive and thrive in the bigger ecosystem. John Cena being in movies, The Rock being the number one movie star in the world. There is a crossover marketing uh, ability, but we're still a long way away from being accepted as a mainstream entertainment option. So I'm not saying we have work to do. I'm not trying to be rah rah. What I'm trying to say is, is there are a lot of people out there that don't like wrestling right so let's set them aside but there's a lot of people out there that don't even know if they'd like wrestling because they're just not exposed to it because culturally it's presented to them as something archaic um it doesn't get the modern advantage that other other sports endeavors do and as the as the as more and more people cut the cord um the networks in particular are realizing they need live event television to keep those viewers staying on broadcast television, which is why I've said to all those people in the meetings over the last eight, ten years, that people will come back to wrestling on mainstream television because it's destination TV, and that will never change. Yeah. So Into the Fire is like three weeks and change, I guess, away more or less. Yeah. What is the feel going to be like for that show? Is it going to feel like a, a pay-per-view live version of what we see on TV in the studio? Is it going to feel more like... Yeah, so we'll have a we'll have a different sort of entrance. Yeah. So the guys will come down from the state uh, from the stairs. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have entrance music because it is a pay per view. Right. Um. You know, there will be longer matches. Um. And it'll, it still will have a lot of the elements that people like with power. There will still like we won't have a backstage set where guys cut promos mm-hmm. and you know it's still going to be the same room. But I think, I think the audience will be part of the the real story. And I you know I went to ECW and it's what I call the heyday, 95 and 96, where that room became, you wanted to go for the room, not the matches. And mm-hmm. I think we've built, you know, to sell, I think we sold 306 tickets for the first uh, two days. This time we've sold 750 for three, and it's all based, we haven't announced one match for right. three days of, 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 of events. People are now into it, and it's, you know, mostly from Atlanta, but people are traveling in. So that pay-per-view is kind of this convergence of all these people that have watched it. And it's only going to grow. So I think we're really excited for this event. And, you know, I think we proved with Crockett Cup and NWA 70, we know how to put on events. We've done that. That's the easy part. For us, it's it's all the other stuff that we have to figure out business-wise to make it work. But this is this is the easy part for us. Yeah. I think the challenge will be, um, and I feel responsible, uh, you know, if I'm speaking to someone who will buy the pay-per-view, um, I feel responsible that if you like NWA Power, the pay-per-view has to feel like it's another gear up, um, that the live event aspect of it that w- will be uh, available live, that the, the, the talent will know that they're being seen live, that warts and all, whatever happens is what's going to go out over the air. And I think that live audience will be heavily invested in representing what they want the world to know about the NWA because there's a sort of hardcore element there that's emerged already. Um, and I think uh, it's 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 going to be on all of us 
you know, to present something. So if you're, because look, on paper, it sounds a little bit strange. You're going to have a live pay-per-view event, but not in some place that, you know, a curtained off arena with, you know, 3,500 people lit a certain way. And we are capable of drawing, uh, you know, a lot of people. It'll be that house effect is, does that translate up to a paper, like a bigger pay-per-view feel, like a big blow-off feel? So I think that'll be on us to see whether or not we can prove that. Well, I think the live aspect is helpful too, because obviously, you know, we're, six or seven weeks removed from the taping and the fact that people are still like there are spoilers on it but it's it it's weird the show has it's almost spoiler proof even if you read it it doesn't feel like you you know what's going on and so for us to have a live event and then i think we'll have growth from it and and honestly that for us to do the paper like someone's like well why aren't you running a bigger building what's well, a cost thing it's a setup cost so for us if if the pay-per-view works yeah we'll look into it but for us it's a it's a chance to kind of get across the red and black line of where we are as a company. And, and I think people supporting us, we had a large amount of pre-orders uh, the first day. And it's it's like you're pre-ordering a pay-per-view three to four weeks from now. You know, that, that money's not, it's just interesting how people are supporting us. And I think it's because we've been sort of authentic in, in how we've reached for it. We haven't made grandiose claims. We're not we're not in any kind of war. We're, we're literally t- bringing something back that, that people loved. Yeah. And I think that's a responsibility we take, just as if... Billy bought Toys R Us and was going to open up a kitschy toy store, you know, because that people have an attachment to these things that we grew up with. Sears one day will be a brand that people bring back in another way. Yeah, it's a, it's a slightly divergent point, but um, I think one worth exploring in this context. You know, I would have these discussions with with uh, Dixie Carter in particular and and John Gaburik. You know, let's call it the in the shadow of WWE problem. Mm-hmm. TNA was forever in the shadow of WWE. So me as being part of creative and, you know, I was allegedly an executive, uh, <laughs> you know, I would make these arguments like, why can't we present these programs in a different in a different way? Why do we have to be WWE light? Well, if people don't see the pyro or they don't see this or that, they don't think it's legitimate. And I've like and I would say things like, yeah, but I've been to a lot of concerts where there was no production. It was a great concert or I've been to th- plays where obviously they'd spent nothing on the sets, but I was engaged with the narrative. Like, why can't we try to break this thing down and rebuild it some other direction so that when people look at our product, in this case, it was TNA, they, they go, oh you know, there's something different happening here. You, like, you take people on a different journey. That comes from being a DIY musician that came out of, the, you know, the punk alternative goth scene or whatever. They just could not wrap their heads around it. It's like, if it doesn't look big, therefore it's not big. And therefore, and I kept saying, but we don't have that kind of production budget, so people unconsciously are recognizing that you're the B program. Right, because it's a smaller version of what's going on over there. Yeah, so in essence, if we... Pre- if so here's here's the thing on paper if we present a world-class roster you know wrestling balls out uh you know you know to the best of their ability in a longer style pay-per-view a match type of setting in in a hothouse setting with only 350 people in the building in a small room will that create something that you on the other end as a consumer uh sam will go i'm enjoying this because it's giving me some sort of a, sort of a different feeling mm-hmm. it's yeah duh it's not wrestlemania but it's different and it's cool because it's this that's 
those are bets that most people are not willing to make in the marketplace because they find safety and commonality. Where my entire artistic life has been, I don't find any safety and commonality. Every time I've ever stood in the line that everybody else has stood in, they told me, you're not, you're not this enough. You know, your teeth are crooked or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you need to be, if you want to be in this world, you need, to be, you need to be more like everyone else. So my whole philosophy was generated like, well, if you're going to kick me out of your little world, I'm just going to do it my way. Right. And, um, and, and so it'll be interesting whether our way will translate and, and you know, the feedback post pay-per-view will be like, okay, that's a worthy endeavor. Or we'll, we'll look at each other and say, that was a good effort. And now we know we're going to have to run more of a traditional pay-per-view model because it just doesn't translate as a bigger feel. Well, guys, I'm glad we did this. Thank you, Sam. Super, super glad we did this. Um, I hope by now everybody has, has seen what NWA is doing over on the NWA YouTube channel. NWA Power is, of course, Tuesdays at 6.05 p.m., um, and it's a great, it's a great show. It's an easy watch. It flies by. You find yourself like I was ready to kind of scroll through and just like hit the. And there's like there's no spot where <laughs> you scroll because it goes you, back to your. We pacing. don't give you any. We, we don't yeah. let you. Put, uh, one a reporter said I didn't even pick up my phone, and it's my job to pick up my phone and take notes. Like like, and it, that was just it was the nicest compliment because yeah. this show this is the show we want to watch. And it's it's built for an audience that is not being served, and in a, a grandiose WrestleMania is in front of seventy thousand people. Okay. Sorry, it was eighty three thousand. I believe. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was there. But like, like, okay, well, we can't do that. So what can we do? And that's what we created the show for. And I think we're just so happy that people are liking it. And the fact that a new person finds it every day is great for us. Yeah. So that's that's the trajectory. Well, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for Thanks, being Jake. here, Billy Sam. and Dave. Thank you. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Welcome to the State of Wrestling. Now, we are going to have an abridged State of Wrestling this week because the Billy Corkin interview was a nice, lengthy one. Uh, but thanks again to Billy and Dave uh, for being a part of that interview and explaining kind of, you know, everything we need to know about uh, the NWA. I like that they're acknowledging the entire lineage of the brand it would have been pretty easy for them to wash that clean you know how like when a uh when a, a reboot comes in like halloween when when they did the halloween reboot i guess it was but the halloween movie that came out last year and they basically said look halloween is a, a franchise that's made a ton of mistakes as far as movies go so what we're gonna do is we're going to say the first one counted because the first one's a masterpiece, and this is the sequel. So Halloween 2, Season of the Witch you can keep because it doesn't apply to the franchise. Halloween 2, 4, 5, I think there might be a 6, H2O, uh, Resurrection, the Rob Zombie remakes. None of those ever happened. We're taking all that out of the legacy, and we're creating a brand new one, which I, I don't have a problem with. You know, if Billy had said... Well, what we're doing is we're taking the NWA to Tay Day, and once they merge with WCW, we're cutting it off there. And so it's 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 the NWA pre-World Championship Wrestling, and then now it's it's now. I'd say, okay, if that's the way you want to do it, it's your business. That's the way you want to do it. But there is something respectable about the fact that they're, uh, as they said, presenting it warts and all. And I think that it actually goes to the branding of what the whole mission statement of the company is that, uh, you know, we're acknowledging that we were a dead brand. We're acknowledging how far behind we were and, and we're building this thing back up. And, and I think the purpose of a NWA in 2019 is to 
reclaim wrestling history as a lot of people knew it growing up. And in order to do that, they've got to reclaim the history of the NWA. And I think that's what they're doing. I'm very interested in seeing what they do on pay-per-view. The stuff they've been doing on YouTube has been great, you know, with the exception of a couple uh, minor ill-advised commentary statements. Everything else has been great. (laughs) So uh, I'm I'm, I'm happy for their success, and I hope they continue to have success. Uh, Speaking of wrestling throughout the world... Um, WrestleCade was happening this weekend, and I really only was keeping up with it because WWE Front Row in the uh, Not Sam Wrestling Discord room that you can have access to through any any uh, tier of the Not Sam Wrestling Patreon page. If you want to be a Not Sam shill, go to patreon.com slash Wrestling For less than a dollar a week, you can get the show early, you can get it ad-free, um, you can get bonus shows, and you can get access to the Discord room. So go ahead and sign up and join us in the Discord room. We're talking all the time. And WWE Front Row was, was giving his take on everything that was happening at WrestleCade, and it looks like a really good time. Shows all weekend, convention, panels. Uh, I feel like it's one of those things where I, I wish that somebody— I wish there were people there that could turn it into an even bigger deal. I'm sure in the area, everybody's aware of it, but I feel like it should be one of those things that a lot more people are talking about because it looked like an absolute blast. And when you look at all the people were there, oh my God, it looks amazing. I did hear the Sandman had some not quite politically correct things to say about, and when I say, I mean, politically correct is such a dumb phrase, but I had some stupid things I'll say uh, to say to some of the uh, women that were main eventing one of the shows at WrestleCade, which it's like, you know, the Sandman literally had a t-shirt that said politically incorrect and proud of it. Like the fact that the Sandman in 2019 is not quite up to speed with where we are, you know, I wouldn't be terribly shocked by that. Um, but when we talk about tradition, uh, when we talk about uh, uh, traditional wrestling and the history of it that existed outside WWE, of course, Starcade. That's the when you talk about Starcast, it gets its name from Starcade. Wrestlecade gets its name from Starcade. Starcade went down last night at the time of the release of this podcast. At the time of this taping, we have not yet seen it, right? Because I'm taping it a couple hours before Starcade actually happens. But it's a WWE Network special, which is a big difference from a pay per view and an even bigger difference from an international pay per view. I think a WWE Network special. It's pretty much it's what we saw last year with Starcade. It's uh, similar to the uh, farewell to the Shield special that they did after they said goodbye to Dean Ambrose a hundred times on television. Um, and to me, they're some of the funnest shows on the network. I, I feel like it's such a throwback to depending on where you grew up, and you can still find you can find uh, footage of this all over WWE Network. Um, but depending on where you grew up, a lot of the house shows were actually aired on arena-owned cable channels. So, like, I think the Boston Garden House shows, uh, they were on a local Boston cable channel, you could watch them. The Madison Square Garden House shows on the MSG network, you could watch them. If you were outside of New York, you didn't have access to them, which is why WWE was still able to present main event caliber, pay-per-view caliber matches, because... They knew that they were only playing them for a very, very limited audience and that it wouldn't kind of kill business, as it were. Uh, 
But that has sort of, obviously there is no such thing as local broadcast anymore. Even if they tried to air something just on a local cable channel, somebody would just tape it and put it on YouTube. The results would certainly be all over the internet within seconds of them happening. They'd be on Twitter. GIFs would immediately exist. I don't think you'd get a better gift than Keith Lee throwing Adam Cole over the railing, but you'd still get gifts is the point. So the closest we've got is the fact that every now and then WWE puts on these uh, specialty house shows on the WWE Network. I wish they would put the uh, holiday shows that they do at Madison Square Garden. Every year, on right around the 26th to the 27th of December, WWE traditionally does a house show at Madison Square Garden, a lot of times in the afternoon. And those are just super fun shows. You know, they're probably not that dissimilar from other house shows that are, you know, circulating. But still, they're super fun shows. And I think if, I think, I don't know what the finances are. Obviously, that's going to be the difference maker. But as a fan, man, I would love it if there were more house show specials aired on the WWE Network. Now, this is going to be either a 60 or a 90 minute special, just like the Shields thing was probably a a 60 minute special if I had to guess I haven't looked it up but they're not airing the entire show so the people in attendance uh at Starcade, they will see an entire house show we watching on the network will see uh just a small portion of this show presented just for us uh the lineup is was advertised as uh Kevin Owens getting Ric Flair in the Kevin Owens show Fatal four-way tag match for the women's championship. Kabuki Warriors, Sasha Banks and Bailey, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, Charlotte and Becky Lynch. And then Rusev versus Bobby Lashley in a last man standing match. Now, since most of you, I'm sure, have already seen this, maybe it doesn't make sense to do uh, predictions or anything right now, but I think uh, I think it would be cool to take the tag titles off the Kabuki Warriors, especially if it's fatal four-way rules. If it, I don't know if it's elimination. If it's not elimination and it's just the first person to get a pin... You could have Becky and Charlotte win the women's tag titles without pinning. Like, I would have Becky pin Bailey and have Charlotte and Becky win the tag titles at StarCast. What this is going to do is, it's, I mean, the same thing they would do every now and then. You know, I remember like SummerSlam, Shawn Michaels and Diesel showed up with the tag championships because they just won them from the head shrinkers at a house show. What this does is it makes it so that people get excited for live events. Because they go, wow, anything can happen. A title can change. And when you show up on Raw tonight and have Charlotte and Becky as the tag team champions, the women's tag champions, then you can, you will have people going like, I got to see this on the WWE Network. Now, I take it a step further, and I would have uh, the Kabuki Warriors win the tag titles back from Charlotte and Becky on Monday Night Raw tonight. I would have probably Asuka get another pin over Becky Lynch. Um, I mean, you could have Asuka pin Charlotte, but having Kaidi pin Charlotte or Becky would be huge for her. But that's what I would do. I would have Asuka pin Becky uh, to win the tag titles back tonight on Raw. So you, it's not like it was a long-term thing because you're sitting there going, why would you waste Charlotte and Becky in a tag when you could have two big solo stars? Yeah, totally. But I'm interested in seeing... That tag title change happen. People go like, oh my God, you got to watch Starcade. Have the titles change back on Raw and then go to TLC and do some kind of maybe a tables, ladders, chairs tag team match between the Kabuki Warriors and Charlotte and Becky. You wouldn't want to see a TLC match with the four of those ladies. I would. It would tear the house down. So 
That's what I'd like to see from that match. And then the third match or the third segment on the show that's been advertised is Rusev versus Bobby Lashley, last man standing. I would imagine that there's got to be some kind of schmoz there because the idea that you have now spent like eight or nine weeks of TV. This was happening before the draft. So you're literally all fall, your entire autumn. It's snowing today in New York. So your entire autumn was spent building a rivalry between Rusev and Bobby Lashley. You've got restraining orders. You got Rusev kicking the set down. You got Lana celebrating sex anniversaries. Let me see. It was the seven week sex anniversary. That was like two weeks ago. So this rivalry has probably been going on about nine years. <laughs> to finally have the Bobby Lashley Rusev match on a network special is really strange to me that. If we're buying the fact that this has been an effective storyline and we want to see and people want to see this match happen, that you would have it happen at a network special instead of and, and that you really just advertise it on Twitter the day before. Hey, by the way, this is a last man standing match happening that you'll be able to see on the network. Cool. But I would have thought there'd be some kind of build to this. No. OK. All right. Let's watch it then. I mean, I'll be watching it. I'm assuming it's going to have some kind of uh, schmoztastic ending and we're going to be left with uh you know, the culmination happening at TLC in, in some kind of stipulation match, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, but yeah, so it's an exciting time. The network specials are always exciting. I always have a good time. It's just a great way to spend a Sunday night. You know what I mean? Great way to spend a Sunday night. Um, as far as SmackDown went this week, uh, there were a couple of things. I thought Roman Reigns looked amazing. I've gotten to this place with Roman Reigns. It's similar to uh, John Cena. When people booed John Cena for so long that they eventually just looked at him and they were like, you know what? You're the man. And I'm probably going to keep booing you just because it's what I'm supposed to do, but I don't really feel it. Like, I kind of want Roman Reigns to win every match. I just want him to beat everybody. I'm just, I've become, a, I've, I've, this incarnation of Roman Reigns is great. And I get upset when he gets stuck with uh, people in dog outfits and things like that. But this week on SmackDown, like, I just thought it was great. I thought the realization that Roman had when Bobby Roode, who Bobby Roode, I don't know what's happened, but in the last few months, it feels like they've fin finally realized the value that Bobby Roode has. Because some people, I did see some people were like, oh, well, of course Bobby Roode's just going to get buried. Well, he's wrestling the biggest guy in the company. He didn't get buried. It was a very competitive match. Like, it was a long match. Bobby Roode uh, put a lot out there. He got a lot of offense in, and eventually he went down to Roman Reigns, as everybody should. But I thought Bobby Roode looked great, and I thought what you know whatever whatever has happened in the last few months, ever since he started teaming with Dolph Ziggler, that made people realize like, oh, Bobby Roode is really somebody worth investing in. Kudos to them because it's a whole new Bobby Roode. There was a period of time where Bobby Roode was just in the bunch trying to get the 24-7 championship. And that wasn't that long ago. So this is a major, major upgrade. The realization, and, and I'm still, by the way, I think Baron Corbin's court would be a lot better with Kofi and Roman turning heel than with, you know, Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler. Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler are fine. But if it were a, a, a bad guy, Roman Reigns, and a bad guy, Kofi Kingston, with Baron Corbin, it would be the biggest thing in wrestling. The biggest thing in wrestling. Um, but the realization on Roman Reigns' face. 
when he looked at Bobby Roode and realized, you just tried to literally murder me. He looked at the chair. He looked at the scepter. He looked at Bobby. He said, you literally tried to cave my skull in just now. Do you understand what I have to do to you? The spear through the uh, uh, guardrail looked vicious. And then uh, the tipping over of the table where the table doesn't break and it actually looks like something that's super sturdy and dangerous and the whole thing. I wish they had left the table off of Corey Graves and Michael Cole for the entire show. That would have been the real reminder of the kind of destruction that Roman Reigns caused. Now, there would be the logical question, why didn't somebody just tip it back over on the other side? It didn't break. But maybe they'd say, this table is so heavy that in order to lift it, you have to be Superman. Now let's go to this footage of Roman Reigns lifting this table. But I, I mean, I thought Roman, I thought it was a great, great moment for Roman Reigns. I thought Survivor Series going into SmackDown, Roman Reigns is in a good place now. Before, I don't know. And there have been rumors that they're going to do a dog collar match between Roman Reigns and Baron Corbin based on the big dog thing that Baron Corbin has been making fun of him with. Look, the music hasn't worked for me. The guy in the dog mascot outfit doesn't work for me. But a dog collar match works for me. I don't, you know, I think people are associating it with the wrong stuff, but there have been great dog collar matches. You know, I'm not, I'm not mad at seeing Roman Reigns and Baron Corbin connect. I mean, they're going to have a match, obviously. So if they're going to have a match, let's make it different. Put a couple dog collars on them. Put a chain in between them. Watch the viciousness. Watch these two men beat each other with chains until one is so welted up that he can't respond and the other is able to touch all four corner posts. I'm not against it. I always like strap matches, dog collar matches. All that stuff is good by me. So I'm not mad at that. Here's something else I'm not mad at. I am not mad at Bray Wyatt's new championship. The Fiend Bray Wyatt debuted a new championship, uh, another item in his repertoire that was designed by horror movie icon Tom Savini. It's got the, the mask stretched across the front, what would be plate, but there's no plates on this thing. It's all kind of leather and rubber and what looks to be literally flesh stretched across this thing. The mask is stretched across with leather straps up on top and bottom saying uh, heel, heel, hurt, hurt. On the sides of the straps, it says, let me in. Uh, it, it fastens like a belt, not with Velcro or snaps. It's just, it's like nothing we've ever seen before. But The Fiend is like nothing we've ever seen before. I think it's very important to note that when Bray Wyatt is doing the Firefly Funhouse, he's still got that blue universal SmackDown title, which to me is better than the red version. So they're not doing away with that. But it is ridiculous that the fiend, Bray Wyatt, who cares about nothing but creating hell on earth, is walking out with a company-created championship. Championships don't matter to the fiend. The fiend is not fighting to keep a championship. The fiend is fighting to destroy and to frighten. And he's destroyed the title and created something frightening with it. I don't know, you know, yeah, it's ugly. It's ugly. The Fiend is ugly. It does nothing to diminish the history of the championship. It, it has nothing to do with that. The person who wins, and you know, and you could say, well, eventually somebody will beat the Fiend. Well, when somebody does beat the Fiend, 
there's nothing stopping them from having the Universal Championship at ringside, right? So if let's say Daniel Bryan beats The Fiend, which he won't, but let's say Daniel Bryan does beat The Fiend, he doesn't have to hold up The Fiend's title at the end. He could look at it, throw it down, and hold up the Universal title again. If anything, the fact that The Fiend's title is such a monstrosity, it goes to the storyline that The Fiend is holding the entire company hostage, that The Fiend has the Universal Championship kidnapped. That he has procured that title and he has stopped the division in its tracks. And now the whole thing has become something that it was never intended to be, a monstrosity. This is my way of saying that if any of you are really loyal fans to the podcast and want to spend the $6,500 on that championship for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye. You can buy a replica of the newly debuted Fiend Championship title uh, on WWE Shop. However, I think every single one is being designed by Tom Savini. I don't think that there's a difference between the replica and the one that they use on TV because the only one you can order, and by the way, supposed to ship by December 20th, not guaranteed Christmas delivery, unfortunately, costs $6,500 plus tax. I did put it in my cart and look at the checkout. You get free shipping on it, which is nice, but it comes to just over seven grand if you want to have The Fiend's new title. That's where I'm going to know, though. There are some of you uh, replica belt collectors. Before the really rare item was like the, uh, there was the Daniel Bryan uh, uh, title that was, at first you could only get it at events or whatever it was. And now if you go to like uh, the, the, the shops that they set up, the superstores that they set up for SummerSlam or WrestleMania or whatever, they have for like, I don't know, three or $4,000, they have TV quality replicas available. But this is by far the most expensive WWE produced replica title. So if any of you are really who you say you are, the champions of replica belt collections, replica championship title collections, you better have that Fiend title in there. I'm all for it, man. And, you know, there was a, a lot of talk, that, you know, that the Fiend was going to be debuting a new face to the Firefly Funhouse. And obviously that new face, I'm assuming, is the face that's on the title. Uh, people thought it was Liv Morgan. I said this on Thursday. There should never be another human member of the Firefly Funhouse. Never. It should be a puppet or a championship or some item that can also have Bray Wyatt's voice with some kind of audio filter over it. No more people should be joining the Firefly Funhouse because the Firefly Funhouse is not a stable. There are no rules on the Firefly Funhouse. Bray Wyatt, the Firefly Funhouse, and The Fiend are like nothing that we have ever seen in WWE before. And now he's got a championship that is nothing like we've ever seen in the WWE before. And I love it. Hey, thanks for being with us this week on Not Sam Wrestling. Don't forget to get those questions in. NotSamWrestling at gmail.com. We will see you on Thursday for another episode of Thursday, Not Sam Thursday. Don't forget to subscribe to uh, uh, our podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash NotSamWrestling. See you Thursday. 
Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.